asked the Lord and the Holy Spirit, I said, what would I preach if I never preached another message? And he said, what you've been preaching. If, you've never, if you'll never preach a, another message, you need to preach the cross and the blood. That's what works. That's what's left over after everything else passes through. So I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures today. And we need to get back to the simplicity of the gospel. And so who knows what our first scripture is today? John chapter 3. Verses 15, 17, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And when the King James Version, we ask for the anointing to be on the word. Well, it is on the word. We ask that the anointing be on me, that I might share the word. So, here we go. I'll try not to turn that way too much. Our praise and worship today is, is a lifting up of him. As it says in, in verse 14, 314, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Redemption came from him being lifted up. Salvation comes when we realize we're at a place that he's the only one that can save us. Then after your Christian praise and worship helps sustain that. Because in praise, you're lifting him up. You're saying, he's Lord, how great thou art. There's no one like him. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And when, he's, when we praise him, we're lifting him up. So it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I think that applies in our lives too. You know, we, we live in a time where there's a lot of depression and oppression. There's a lot of demonic activities, which not a whole lot of people talk about. But... That's alive and real. And we need to realize that we're fighting ancient spirits that go back to when mankind first came. This is ancient stuff. So it's not a new adaptation of sin or what the devil's up to. These are ancient spirits and they need to be dealt with the same way that they were dealt with in the past. God wants to raise up a generation that believe in healing, that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that believe in praying for one another, that believe that you can be set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's raising up. He's not looking for converts that want the church to adapt to their way of life. See, here's where we have a problem. I got saved during the Jesus movement. As many of you uh, 50 and 60-somethings did, it was a great time of salvation. How many of you got saved during the Jesus movement, 70s, early and late 70s? Yeah, there was a great move of God that took place, a great revival. And what happens is we have to be careful sometimes that we don't try to adapt the church to what's happened. I got saved and I got radically saved. Dave got saved, he got radically saved. That means you go from one place to another, and it's a radical change, okay? And what we do is over the period of years, the church goes through adaptation to society. And what happens is, the pendulum, it's like a pendulum. The, the, the one consistency through everything is the Word of God. 
Things come and go, but the Word of God is the measuring stick of everything. We were a bunch of long-haired hippies that happened to get saved. And what did we do? We, we loved church. We loved going to God's house. It was just something. And the church tried to adapt to something that God was already doing. And today we find another movement going on. And again, the church, the worldly movement wants to drag the church more into the worldly side than what is consistent. So the church needs to find what their basis is, what their center line is. And the center line is, why did he come? What did he come? That never changes. Why he came never changes. But we'll see a lot of churches today, and I'm not jealous of them by any means, because I've got my faults just like anybody else has. But again, we're, we're living in a culture that wants to adopt, adapt the church to what's going on in the world. And a lot of times, our church services and and things are uh, adapting by who has the best production. Well, we went from the blood to production. We, we've gone from the blood and preaching the blood to self-help. See, the problem with self-help is you can go anywhere and read a self-help book. But that's all that teaches you is self-help. The Bible is not a book of self-help. The Bible is a book of He helps. And He saves. And we can go through any program we want to go through and say, oh, I'm in this self-help class. Well, the bottom line is we need to surrender to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be a surrendering. It's not about self-help. I've tried to help myself for 71 years and I've made a mess out of it. The only time that I'm productive is when I turn what I do over to the Lord because I have failings like you do. I, uh, you know, I've all of sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the only thing, the only time I've had real production in my life is when I turn things over to Him and it becomes a personal surrender. The church doesn't need to surrender to the world. The world needs to surrender to the church. Let me cross that off. That was a pretty good one there. <laughs> I love our music that we have here in the church. And another reason I love it is because it's the gospel. And we're singing praises unto him. Uh, you know, the days of uh, a lot of people want to turn even praise and worship into self-help in some way. But it's not that. It comes from a thankful heart. It comes from a grateful heart. It comes from a heart that's been touched by the Lord. And it's not about anything other than that. So I got to get going on these scriptures. What we need to, what gets us saved is by lifting him up and realizing who he is. And what keeps us in God's way is by continually lifting him up. Before I go to bed at night, I thank him for a day, another day. And first thing I do when, before I get up in the morning is I know there's all kinds of stuff waiting, but I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because there's a lot going to happen in the space of a day, space of a year in your life, in a lifetime. But there's one thing again that's consistent. Why did he come? So it says, we need to lift him up. Go on, Olivia. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Keep going. 
For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. A lot of people have reduced the gospel to do's and don'ts. It's not about that at all. There's more freedom in Christ than there is in sin. See, we look at it backwards. There's more freedom in him than there is in sin. And so he didn't come to condemn us, but that through him, our acceptance of him, the world, the world might be saved. Aren't you glad you're saved today? How did you get saved? By coming to CLC? No. By going to Crossroads? No. By going to... uh, Solid rock, any good church that you can think of. How did you get saved? You came to a point in your life where you had to surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be commended by churches. I can be commended as a pastor. You can say you did a good job. But you know what it all goes back to? Christ and him crucified. That's where we should always point, and that's what the last thought should be as we go out. I'm glad I came into the house of the Lord today because I learned more about Christ and him crucified. Let's go on. He that believes on him is not condemned. So if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. And guess what? You go from condemnation to salvation. That's what he does. It's never changed. But he that believes not on him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What is that name? Jesus. What is that name? Jesus. You know, you can't speak the name of Jesus unless you mean it, unless it's in you. The name of Jesus. Sometimes you just get tired of people doing what they do and doing their production that they do, and they put a Jesus stamp on the end of it, like everything that we've done. Jesus, I realize that everything that I've done has not been pleasing to him. But I need forgiveness. There's so many scriptures that feed into what we're saying If we sin, we confess our sin. He's faithful and just. See, the act of salvation is an ongoing thing because we keep on confessing our sin. Now, I don't want to get into another debate on that, but I'm not condemned today. I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. Go to 1 Corinthians 2.2. You all know this one. This is it. This is an easy one. I hear a lot of people say, well, I went here and they had this and that. And that's all good. Whatever reaches people is all good. But I don't really, the bottom line is not what we can offer. It's what he can offer. Okay. Okay. He's still God whether we have nice chairs or whether we sit on a bench with splinters in it. He's still God. And he still came that he determined not to, this is Paul speaking, he didn't want to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, here we go. Go to Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24. Now, keep in mind what this is all about is what he did about his blood, about salvation. You all there? 
Well, let's go to verse 23. I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry. It's the word. For all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely. We are justified freely. Think about that. Free justification. Can't pay for it. You can't earn it. We are justified freely. How? By his grace. What's, what's his grace? It's his mercy, but it's also the blood. The blood speaks of his grace toward us. I have great grace today toward me because I believe in the blood of Jesus. Doesn't mean everything goes right, but he, we are saved freely by his grace. Through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. Redemption is doing something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. He redeemed us from the curse of the law when he hung on a tree. That's why he came. We're redeemed from the penalty of our sins. Sin has a price, but it eternally, and eternally we are saved and we're free from sin. And if we sin, we confess it and we go on. We don't let it rule our future or even right now. Because the enemy comes and I'm... The enemy comes to ruin our confidence. He especially tries that with, with preachers. He wants to ruin preachers' confidence. Anybody that shares, he will fight you tooth and nail. If you're a singer, whatever you do, he's attacking your confidence. Okay? So we've got to be careful of that. So what's Romans 3.24? It's saying we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. It's in him. It's through him. In him we live and we move and we have our being. We have our substance. That's how we are saved. Ephesians 1.7. We're going to be happy about this when it... Well, we're happy about it now, but... Well, go to verse 6, I'm sorry. There we go. To the praise of his glory and grace. When we praise him and lift up praises to him, we're singing to the praise of his glory and grace toward us. Isn't it great that you're able to experience the glory of God in your life? Do you ever belong to a club or something, and it was a good club, but there ain't no glory in it? There's glory in, in God's house. There's glory in the things of God. You can belong to a lot of organizations, but, buddy, when you see the glory of God, that's the first one you need to belong to, what draws you to him. And it says here that to the praise of his glory, wherein he has made us accepted. You are accepted today. Look at somebody and say, I'm accepted. Somebody, come on, now you got to do better than that. This preaching ain't that bad. You're accepted today. And how are you accepted? How are you part of that club where you can see the glory of God? Well, I'll tell you. It says in verse 7, in whom we have what? Redemption. Well, how do we get that? We have redemption through how? His blood. His blood. It's always been His blood. We have redemption and grace and mercy 
through his blood. Thank you, Harold. It's through him. Look what else it says. The forgiveness of sin according to what? His riches. His riches in grace. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How are we who are dead to sin continue any longer therein? Think about that for a minute. We choose to live in his grace. Or we can hop in and out of it like, you know, according to the world. When we adapt too much to the world, then we want his... God doesn't shed his grace on everything that we're involved in. We need to be careful that we don't go off on tangents and then stamp it with the name of Jesus and think that that makes it all right for everything. There's repentance. There's staying humble before the Lord. But through the blood and through the riches of his grace. Now go to Colossians 1.14. Still there? Anybody? Well, Olivia, you knew we'd be going back. Go to 13 if you would, honey. Thank you. He has what through his blood? Now, keep in mind our, our scriptural text, 1 Corinthians and the book of John. And it says here, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. How? And has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We've been translated into the kingdom. That's why we can say you will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we're citizens of two different places. We're citizens of the earth, but we're also seated in heavenly places with him. My citizenship is an eternal citizenship. I'm not an outcast. I'm not an alien in the, in the, uh, I'm not illegal in the kingdom of God. What makes me legal in the kingdom of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at uh, the scripture he said, verse 14. Well, he's translated us from darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption. How? Come on now, you can read through his blood. That's how we have redemption. Even the forgiveness of sin. Are you all with me today? Now, well, I'm getting pretty excited about this. Now, I want you to go to uh, Isaiah 53. How many of you ever, when you were in church in the old days, had Bible drills? Remember them? They were kind of fun, really. Phones have made it too easy now, but that's still a good way to... Isaiah 53, this is really going to feed into why he came. This is a description of Jesus. Who has believed our report? Verse 1. Who has believed our report? Same thing today. Who believes the report that we give? It's not about what our church does. It's about what he does. Who has believed our report? 
And to whom is the, is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. We were all dry ground before he grew up out of us. See, that's why the scripture says, out of you, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. We were, lived in a dry and desert land, but he's caused our lives to bloom. How many of you know today that you would never have the position that you have without him doing a miraculous work in your life? God makes unnoticeable people noticeable. He takes people that don't think that they have giftings and he gives them the greatest gift of all, which is being able to pray with people and being able to lift up the name of Jesus. He takes people that think they have no value and he gives them value, not through self-help, not by directing us to another book, but by saying, I am the one that helps you acknowledge me. In my name is salvation. I'll turn your dry ground. I've shared many times how Israel is blooming. Do you know how much Israel, the, the small country of Israel, is blessing the rest of the world through various things? One, through technology. They are really out front when it comes to technology. Another thing is, is that through agriculture, believe it or not, the Valley of Megiddo and all those places that were hit with drought and, and were barren, they're all now blooming, just as the scripture said they would. They're blooming. You know why they're blooming? Because the people of Israel are cultivating the things and, and learning things. And even though they haven't put their faith in Christ, the day's coming when they'll realize that all that good stuff has come from him because they're the forerunners of Christ and they're his representatives as a people in the land today. And one day they're going to recognize who caused all that prosperity to take place. That's why we as Christians have that um, love for Israel that we really don't understand. Think about it. We have a love for Israel, and it's kind of dropped in our heart. You know who put it there? <laughs> he put it there. Because they're his people. We are his people because we've been grafted in. We see it. They're going to see it. But it all goes back to the one place, and that's him. And so he'll turn that arid ground into prosperous ground. I'm moving on. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Uh, people have tried to paint an image of Jesus all through history. This is what Jesus looked like. This is what Jesus looked like. Well, I don't know. I do know one time he took three of the disciples, and he was transfigured before them. And when he was transfigured, they couldn't handle what they were seeing. It was a different description than we would give him. And then in the book of Revelation, he's just a fire. And he's just uh, everything about glory. That's who he is. There's nothing that we should think, oh, he's handsome Jesus. No, and I'll tell you why. I bet he was good looking, but in a way that we don't understand. Because you see that... Yeah. Things always look different on the other side of the blood, don't they? Go on, Lonnie. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. 
and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But it gets better. Surely he bore our griefs. In times of sadness, who do we turn to? We turn to Jesus. We turn to him. Our prayer is to him. The world doesn't operate that word. They, they turn their grief into more grief. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But here comes the good stuff. He was wounded for my transgression. That's why he was wounded. He didn't have to be wounded. He was wounded for my transgression, for your transgression. That's why he came to take care of sin. Every faith or quasi-faith or false gods, they, they make sacrifices unto him. That's just the way of man. Man has to believe and sacrifice to something. He took care of the sacrifice once and for all. The other face, the other ways of looking at things in theology, their theology is they're still looking for Zen. What is Zen exactly? There's one TV channel that says, enjoy the Zen while we go to commercial. What is it exactly that I'm supposed to be enjoying? Zen. I feel all zenful today. Enjoy the Zen. And they play this Enya music in the background, if anybody remembers who Enya was. She was this woman that recorded all these New Age songs, like album after album after album, and every song sounded the same. Zen. It was to calm you and make you just like transcendent with the world all around you. But it never gave glory to who made the world all around you. So I'll try not to be too zenny as I finish this up. But here's why he came. He was wounded for my transgressions. And he was bruised for my iniquities. For my iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. You know what it means to chastise something? It means to severely censor that person. He was severely censored because of me. He was chastised. He was severely censored. And then what else it means is to inflict punishment, which means he was, punishment was afflicted upon him for my peace. For my peace. Yeah. You ever had somebody speak to you a, a word of God that says, you know, be encouraged, do this, do that, and you don't feel like it? But we need to realize that he endured punishment for my peace. He purchased my peace. What's the fruits of the Holy Spirit? And the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He paid all that, and peace is involved in all of it. He paid the price. He was censored for my peace. When you censor somebody, that means that you put them out. In other words, where was he crucified? Outside the city gates. 
If you go over to modern day Israel right now, they have a church built on a place that they say he was censured or he hung on a tree. But when you go there and then you go to the garden tomb, you understand that something's at the garden tomb that wasn't at the place that the other people say. Just because they build a church on it don't mean it's the real place. You know why? Because in the garden tomb, you feel the anointing. We take communion at the garden tomb and Golgotha is right next to it. They've even built a grandstand so you can sit there and look at Golgotha and take communion. But all below that is the chaos of the world because it's a bus station. So you talk about an example of rejecting the peace of God and, and, and living in the peace of God. Here we are taking communion, singing praises to God, and just enjoying the anointing. And here's a bus station with the world going on, going on, going on. Bus after bus, taxi after taxi. It's the same juncture of roads that existed in the time of Christ. That's why they crucified him outside the city on a hill because... Everybody had to go past that point if you were going to the north and the west. So it meant a lot. And you can go there today and the form of the rock has still got eyes and a nose and a mouth. And it was right in the place where the world could look at it and say, yeah, he's crucified up there. That was the end of him. That's the way that they look. But guess what? You walk about 100 yards down from Golgotha and you come to the garden tomb and you walk up to that thing and you feel the anointing. You feel the resurrection power coming out of that place. And you say, this is chaos and this is peace. And this is what he purchased for me was that peace. I choose to not live in that chaos. Where was I? He's wounded and he was bruised for our iniquities. The payment for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now, I want to I just go aside for just a second here. That's a good healing scripture. But we don't need to just reduce it to healing. Because what comes before that also is salvation. And he, salvation is wrapped up in this. You know, sometimes we say, well, we quote that all the time, by his stripes, by his stripes. And that's a true statement. But also, there's the eternal aspect of it. Because if it wasn't speaking about both of the worlds, this current world we live in and the heavenly world that we're going to live in, then we just, we, there's, if you don't get healed, then you get to thinking, well, how come I'm not healed? The scripture says, by his stripes, you're you know there's a healing that's more important than physical healing? And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ, your salvation. My salvation. See, even Paul, how do I back this up? Well, scripturally, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We can debate forever what that was about. And then we debate and debate and debate about, well, why didn't God heal him? And Paul was the greatest evangelist, and he did this, and but he never got healed. And there's been so many books written, this and that, and Jesus, Jesus said, by, uh, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. Yep. In other words, Paul, you keep on the eternity route. Yep. What Paul say? I don't know anything but Christ and him crucified. So sometimes we get disappointed when we don't see the healing we want. But we got to realize that there's an eternal aspect of by his stripes you are healed. Every lash meant something. Amen. But... 
just physical healing is not the end of that scripture. By his stripes, we are healed. How many of you ever heard a revelation of what, you know, a lot of people didn't like the Passion of Christ movie because they said it was too realistic or too bloody. You're, you're sure, and I'm sure, yes, it was too bloody. But that's what it's all about, is about the blood of Jesus Christ. It brought forth the suffering that he went through in a, in a way that we've never seen. You know, you don't get 39 lashes and get up and look like you just come out of the shower feeling great, you know. Everything, when you saw the cruelty of the beatings and the real, realism, of it, I believe it was like that and even worse. Because mankind can only, can only convey it with so much gruesomeness. But isn't it interesting that the world didn't like that movie because they said there was too much blood? Well, honey, yeah, there was. But you know what? That blood still flows today and it still covers my sin because I don't just, folk, you know, I got things in my body I wish were healed and people pray for me and every time I receive it, I receive it, that doesn't mean it happens in my body, but that doesn't mean we quit praying because the blood's still the blood. The forgiveness is still the forgiveness. The purpose he came is still the purpose he came. Whether I get healed or not, Paul said, listen, I'm tired of this. I got a thorn in the flesh. He said, you know what? You're saved by grace. And I just want you to endure this because my grace is sufficient for you. So, yeah, sometimes we question what's going on, but there's more to, more to this scripture. First Peter 2, go to First Peter. I'm not going to take too much longer. First Peter 2. 2.24. Jeremy just dealt with this over the study of Peter, first and second. Wow. Who his own self bore our sins in his own body on a tree. That we being dead to sin should live, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Peter quotes that scripture again. But there was afflictions that went unhealed. There was things that went, many times we lose the eternal aspect of what the word, because we, we want so many things, which is okay. We want so many things in the flesh that sometimes we get mad in the flesh when we should be rejoicing in the spirit. By his stripes. See, he went through the scourging before he went through the crucifixion. The stripes occurred before the crucifixion. So by his stripes, his stripes point to Calvary. Everything points to Calvary. It's a focal point of history. Everything points that way. It fulfilled scripture by being, well, let's go on. Now, go to Zechariah 13.6. Who's the first to find that? Zechariah 13.6. Say, I'm first. I got it. You got it? 13.6. Zechariah 13.6. 
Everybody got it? Well, it's up there if you know. Prophetic scripture. It's a prophetic scripture. As Isaiah was prophetic. Keep in mind why he came. That's what this whole series or mini-series is all about. Look at this. And it says, One shall say to him, What are those wounds in your hands? What are these wounds in your hands? You know, when he appeared to the disciples in the room in John 20, Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't there. So Thomas said this, unless I can put my hand in the nail prints, in his hand, thrust it into his side and his feet, I can't believe. We're talking about wounds. When he appeared to the disciples, his point was, here's your healing spiritually and physically. See, he took it also there. What was the, the point that Thomas missed? Unless he saw, he wouldn't be leave. That had nothing to do with healing. It had to do with his salvation and his confession. How did Thomas? He walked with the Lord, but what was his salvation? His salvation was when he said, come here, Thomas. Here it is. Here's proof. Look at my wounds. Look at this. This is what I did. He had to believe. It wasn't about a healing meeting, which is important. We, we do those things because we believe that God moves in those things. But what he was talking about to Thomas was, you need to believe that I'm resurrected from the dead. The resurrection means so much because a lot of people want to stop things right at Calvary, their version of what he did. That's why we have prayer to other saints and prayers to this guy and prayers to that guy because they want to deny the finished work of the cross and the resurrection. Well, I got news for you. I've been at that garden tomb, and it's empty. There's nobody there except us when we go in there and go, oh, look at that. I mean, it's real, and there's an anointing. And I just imagine so many times them stones because they, you know, there's, there's so many things in, in the Holy Land that are real and so many things that are hokey. But the only way to tell the difference is the anointing. There are some places you go to that they say this is that and this is that and there's no anointing there and it doesn't point to why he came. And then you go to other places that they don't think is real important like up on the Mount of Olives and you walk in that little rotunda there and there's doves up in the eaves and singing and carrying on and people are in there just getting totally wrecked. Not because it's one of the major sites, but it's because the presence of the Lord is still in that place. And man, like man will do, they built a little wooden square with a footprint in the middle of it made out of concrete. And they say, this is the very step that he ascended from. Now, it's hokey. Do I think that there was a guy there, whoop, let's get a plastic mold and a plaster mold and put it under here. Yeah. It ain't about that. He's coming back to the Mount of Olives. But the footprint that he left for all of us was the nails through his feet. And it says when he comes back, he's going to come back and he's going to sit down on the Mount of Olives. I believe he'll come there. 
I don't think it has anything to do with that footprint. I think it has to do with the promise of the word. He's coming back. Man tried to make it as well. This is what we can do. We can add to this. Put his footprint down there. They could have used anybody's footprint. But see, without the anointing, we get fooled. Without the anointing, we fall into different things that, that it just causes more unbelief. Why did he come? He came because... He wanted to shed his blood that we might have forgiveness of sin and redemption. He bought us with a price that no one else could pay. That's why he came. And is he coming back to the Mount of Olives? You bet he is. And I don't know where his first footstep is going to be. But guess what? Before it says he's going to come in the clouds. With glory. He's going to be surrounded by glory and angels and trumpets and everything else. You know what? It ain't going to be about footprints then. It's going to be about an earthquake that starts in that little chapel right there. And it runs down through the valley where there used to be a, a, a ramp built into the eastern gate. Because it's all blocked up now. The Arabs thought by blocking it up they could keep him from coming. And they put an Arab cemetery in front of the eastern gate. Guess what? The resurrection power that raised him from the dead that day in that garden tomb, that's power. And if they think of cemetery and uh, blocking up a wall in the 1500s is going to keep the king of glory out, they ain't heard the trump of God yet. And when they do, it's going to scare. I've seen that stone, a stone, doesn't really matter if. What was Thomas's reply? Bring this down to a personal level. He said, unless I can see this, touch him, do this, do that, I won't believe. So Jesus, being very Jesus, said, okay, come here. It's like the blind man who was begging beside the road. And they, Jesus looked at him and said, what do you want? <laughs> That's one of my favorite scriptures. What do you want? Well, it was obvious what the guy wanted. He wanted, he said that I might receive my sight. And it's like, okay, there you have it. Right place, right time. You talk about right place at the right time. But more than that, what he did is he acknowledged who Jesus was while everybody else was. You know, how many times in the scripture did they tell people to be quiet because they were making too much noise on Jesus' behalf because they had a revelation of who he was. They just said, be quiet, be quiet, don't do this, don't do that, don't praise him, don't, don't do this, don't do that. Even on the, the triumphal entry, they wanted him to shut up, they wanted his disciples to shut up. Keep it down, keep it down over there, keep it down, no, no, keep it down. Well, he'll not be kept down. And when that gate opens, guess what's going to have access to the Temple Mount? And we're going to go right, we won't have to go through screening. And what did he say? What's the end result? He saw the wound. He was wounded. He saw the wound. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. At that moment, he had a revelation. I read in history sometimes, they said Thomas went all the way to India and preached in India and was crucified or something over there. They were all put to death except John. 
But think about that. He believed. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, Thomas, you're blessed. But he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What we need in our lives is a revelation of who he is and what he came for. He said that to Thomas. He said things to Andrew. Andrew, you're impressed because I said blah, 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 blah. And then he would say to him, well, how are you going to react if you see the Son of Man ascending and descending? Everything was a a question with an answer to it. He didn't just question them and, and try to prove how dull they were. He had eternal life was in him. He said the same thing to Peter. Peter, who do you say I am? Who do people say that I am? Well, it's a type of what the world's doing today. Who do people say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. That's who you are. See, that's the most important revelation that we can get is who he is and what he does. And that gives us strength to not live in the past, You know, Jesus gets blamed, God gets blamed for a lot of things that we bring on ourselves. Thank God for the blood that if we confess it, but he has right now on his hands and our, uh, okay, but who is this? Who are these wounds in your hands? And then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends, prophetic scripture. They were praising him on Sunday and they were nailing him to the cross on Friday. You say, how can things turn that fast? His blood, his blood still cries. You know, a lot of people, how many of you got scars on your body? You know what? Some people are proud of their scars. They say, look at this scar I got from doing this, and look at my hand, and I got a scar here, and I got, look at that. Some people use scars as, see, look how hard I work, work my fingers to the bone. What did I get? Bony fingers. That's an old song for you, younger ones. But, you know, people see a scar, and it, causes, it, it elicits or it causes a reaction. You know, if I had a big scar across my forehead, you'd say, where'd you get that scar? Yeah. Then I'd have to tell you where I got that scar. I got a, back in the old days when they used to take out appendixes. Nowadays, they just do microsurgery or whatever else. It's a little bitty or a knee or whatever. They couldn't find mine, so they cut me from here to here. They had to go on an expedition to find my appendix. Because it had erupted, or what do you call it? Yeah, rupture. And they couldn't find the thing, but I knew where it was because it was hurting. I was turning yellow and everything else. Just get that thing out of there. I don't care if you got to cut me from here to China. It's making me hurt. So if you were to see my wound, you'd say, man, that's an awful big scar there. Why is it like that? Don't you know that you could get surgery now and they just do a little slit like this? Well, back when I needed help, they cut a big hole. 
And some of us need help. The world needs help. And sometimes they can fix it with just a little microscopic incision. But some of us have dug ourselves a deep hole. And we got something we need to find, and he will free us. See, it's not, it's not the scar. It's what it means. It's what it means. All the wound does is bring attention to something. And when we see the wound, when we see the blood, there's never a shedding of blood without a wound. And so when we see that, it's not the wound or the scar. It's what it means. And that's what we love to tell about sometimes. So what we need to tell about is not the wounds, but what it means. What he did for us. It's not just the wound, but it means. When we have a revelation of Christ, we start to understand it's not just healing, but it's salvation. And it's everything that he promised us when he fulfilled the scripture. Amen.